Yo, welcome back, welcome back, welcome back, everybody. It's episode 59 of the Independent Intel Podcast. I'm your co-host, Kim Wubamani, but today, the podcast forum will be introducing a new segment that we're going to try to do every Monday with a fellow classmate of mine from college, a good friend, Clement Gibson. We're going to call it NBA Monday, where we recap all of the NBA news, insight, and intel from the week prior and try to assess everything in about three or four main topics. But before I dive in, I'm let my guy Clement Gibson take the floor and let him introduce himself to the Independent Intel Podcast family about what he is, um, his insight, his knowledge, what he's going to bring to the forum, and we're going to go from there. So without further ado, I'm going to let my guy Clem take the floor. Clem, let's hear it. As always, appreciate you, Brother Tim. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm a, a new guest to uh, Independent Intel, uh, but glad to be here um, in the last couple years now. Obviously, I played basketball throughout college, uh, 14 years um, playing from beginning to, to the end of my college time. Um, was able to do an internship with the Hawks, so had experience there um, writing, uh, covering uh, summer league with the Hawks and just a student and fan of the game. So um, appreciate you having me on here and can't wait for us to take our great debates from our Instagram group chat back to the podcast. So once again, thank you. Can't wait as well. It's going to be an enjoyable time from here through the rest of the NBA season. So without further ado, man, let's get it started. And the first topic at hand is really separating the pretenders from the contenders in the Western Conference. By far, we can both agree the West has been the wild, wild West, to say the least, in comparison to the Eastern Conference. Um, the top eight seeded teams are kind of separated by, well, seven, rather six of the top eight seeded teams are separated by two to three L's. And currently Memphis is number one at 19 and 10, followed by the Pelicans who are 18 and 11. Denver, who's also 18-11, and you have Phoenix and Sacramento rounding out the top five, um, followed by Portland, Clippers, and surprisingly, the Utah Jazz. So we're going to kind of separate this segment into the reels and the fakes. So I really want to start off with Clem, first team that you feel like is a reel on your board, um, and what do they bring to the table so far this year that has you confident that that can carry over in the postseason? Uh, you're going to hate this. Uh but Nuggets, man, um, I actually looked back at the last time I was on the pod. We had a um, preseason, if you will. It was the, the first day of the NBA season. And I was looking back at my pretenders, uh, if you will, and the contenders. And Denver was the team that I had as the number one in the West. So I'm sticking with it. And I think they're uh, the number one contender. Um, obviously getting off to a bit of a slow start. Um, Jokic has been finding his groove and allowing Jamal Murray to get back into the offense. Um, and obviously Michael Porter Jr. has been having on and off injuries, but when he has played, he's, um, shown, you know, highlights of, of one of the better offensive players that we've seen and we know him to be. So I think as the, um, the season goes on, he'll definitely pick that back up and, um, the big question here is just if Michael Porter Jr. can get back to that level. Um, I've seen some flashes from Jamal Murray, but Jokic is that steady force that is holding them together. So 
I think for that reason, um, uh, the Nuggets are going to be the contenders here. Number one contender on my list, at least. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. I mean, Denver, top five offensive rating. I think they're number three at this point in the year. Uh, they can score at the best of them. I actually looking at them play quite a few times this year. I do think this is the best roster construction that they've had under Mike Malone during his tenure. So um, they can go one through eight, um, versatile guards, versatile wings. And then, you know, Jokic makes everything go around with his versatility offensively as a playmaker, a rebounder, and a scorer. But they're kind of my pretender, and we're going to get to the pretenders later, but I'm, I'm going just, to just put that over there. I um, mean, mm. you kind of know why, because during the preseason pod, I kept telling you the main reason, and sure enough, statistically, it supports my reasoning, nothing less. But for me, man, I think Memphis is legit. I think they're a real contender out west. Um, and I think the biggest turning point for them was there was at one point in the year, they were like 10 and 7, and a lot of that is because Jaron didn't play yet. John Morant was in and out of the lineup. Uh, Desmond Bain was also in and out of the lineup. So they weren't really healthy. But I saw slight flashes of them individually. That made me feel like when this unit becomes whole again, adding to the evolving depth that they were able to build upon despite losing uh, Melton and Kyle Anderson, I thought they could be a pretty tough team. And for me, the litmus test was they play Milwaukee at home, pretty good early season test, and they just destroy them by 41. And the biggest standout thing within that matchup was Dylan Brooks's efficiency offensively shooting the basketball. And then he just really took Chris Middleton out of the game. So if it ever got to a point where it's Memphis and Milwaukee in the finals, that Grizzly team rides, matches up very well with the Bucks, but they got to get there, obviously. Um, they haven't had Bane for a while, but I feel like when Bane returns, going to get to see Memphis at their fullest form. But something that's very, that's very dependable is Jaron Jackson's improved. In terms of his back to the basket game, he's been playing more close to the basket. He's not just selling for threes. He's become a defensive player of the year candidate with the blocks and everything. And that in itself, you get Tyus Jones coming off the bench. And in, in my eyes, he's a starting point guard for half of the teams in the league. With Asante Aldama, with the um, Zaire Williams, with a Brandon Clark. I mean, this is the deepest team in basketball, to be honest. And with and as long as they just stay healthy. This is a team that, in my opinion, can at least get to the Western Conference Finals. And I was telling you that in the offseason, Club. I know you wasn't a believer because you felt like, man, they're brash, they're young, they talk too much, the league's going to catch up to them. And I was like, they're evolving every year. The only way they're going to get caught is if they get hurt. And so far, injuries has really held them back. That's really been the only thing. And they have a huge game tomorrow. I get your nuggets, primetime TNT. So that's another opportunity to see how good they can be against elite talent, but I like where they're headed, and I really believe with believing them as a legit contender out west. Yeah, I think the injury thing is what scares me the most, and um, obviously that's in today's day and age, injuries are just you never really know. But Bane's foot injury, and then even though Jaren Jackson's back, he's still fouling so much. Um, I just wondered too with Josh playing style, he's bound to miss some games, so. Um, my, the thing that scares me with them is just the injuries. I just don't think over the course of a full season that they would be able to be healthy, um, and get to that point. But time will tell, as we always say. Time will tell indeed. Um, your second contender out West, um, Clem behind Denver, who do you have within the hierarchy that you feel is confident enough to make a deep run come playoff time? 
off of where they are currently right now and what they've shown you so far early in the year? Yeah, I think um, probably the three most consistent teams we've seen um, all year in the Western Conference. Obviously, the Grizzlies we talked about, the Nuggets are on the rise, but they weren't uh, there most of the year. Um, but then the, the Pelicans and the Suns, but I'll start with the Suns. Uh, they're my second team. Um, I mean, Devin Booker playing at a crazy level right now offensively, um, not only with the scoring, but just with the assists as well and just overall game control. Like this past game, they're getting beat by 20 um, to the Pelicans, and he just literally willed them to a victory starting in the third quarter, going bananas, being aggressive, getting to the free throw line time and time again. I think he shot 15 free throws that game. Um but even the emergence of DeAndre Ayton, who I was a bit skeptical about, um, just his heart, don't know if he's a guy who could bring it every night. He's a little too finesse for his position, um, good defensive presence, but just not sure if he can be that second leading scorer that their team needs. Because we know Book's going to score 25 plus a game, um, but with Chris Paul declining, there has to be somebody else stepping into that role that's going to average not just 18 and 12, but we're looking more so for him to put up like a 22 to 24 points, get to the free throw line more. Um, McCall Bridges has stepped up in that role as well, scoring more points, being more efficient. But asking him to guard the best player every night and then also score 20 points a game, I just don't think that's um, something you can bank on for 82-game season. But um, for those reasons, I have the Suns uh, number two on my list. And with Cam Johnson coming back soon, I think that'll even bring them to a higher level. And then once they get rid of uh, Jay Crowder as well, that'll bring in another guy um, that'll help fill out their team. I agree. Um, the Suns are on my uh, contender list. They're the third team. Um, there's a second team that we're gonna, I'm, I'm going to get to before we hit to the uh, pretenders. But, you know, the main reason why I'm really high on these guys is their bench for starters was a huge worry for me. And they kind of shown throughout the early part of the year, they have something with campaign. He looked like he's going back to what he was his first year with the squad. Um, Jacques Londale has been hit or miss, but he's a guy that can give you something as a post presence and a little bit of a stretch five. But Josh Okoge, he's been solid for them as an energy, as an energizer bunny. And Bismack Biyombo continues to give them solid minutes despite his old age and his undersizes as a five. But for me, Devin Booker, and look, you've been the biggest Devin Booker fan since Devin Booker got to this point. Telling so you, man. this is all you. This is all love <laughs> for you. You saw it before it really materialized into legit W's. He is, in my eyes, the best shooting guard in basketball. And he's now risen to a first-team All-NBA talent. His career highs in points, 28. He's averaging almost six assists a game. That's a career high as well. Um, his ability to impact the game as a three-level scorer and a playmaker elevates his productivity as a superstar and gives them another dimension as a team with the Suns that takes them to the next level. But something that's even more promising is Mikel Bridges really came back and added to his bag. They're giving him opportunities offensively to get individual scoring points on, in one-on-one -on -one coverage. And that's turned out some pretty uh, dynamic offensive numbers that are career highs in points per game at 16.2. He's got 3.0 assists. Total rebounds is 5.0, and he's got 47-40-90 splits. Um, look, you're right. You're asking him a lot to be the ultimate two-way player, which is give us 20, and then on the other side, defend the team's best two-yard. 
But if he can be a guy you can lean on and consistently give you 17 to 20 points a game, now you have Booker, Aiton, Bridges, and Paul's casual imprint giving you that scoring push within their starting five. My only concern with Phoenix is this. The health and the potential regression of Chris Paul and DeAndre Aiden being able to stay on the floor. Aiden's looked engaged so far this year, more engaged than he's probably been in a minute. And that might be because he got his bag. Um, Suns have their back against the wall. I honestly felt like to start the year, Clem, when they played Dallas, that season opening victory against Dallas, I think, set the tone for their season. They would have lost that game. Who knows where they'd be right now. But a lot of that was because of uh, – Monty Williams being able to bench Chris Paul and then go with the second unit. Damian Lee came off the bench and gave him a good push that gave them a victory. And I think they really formulated their full identity as a squad. But they're going to need Chris in the playoffs to be not just durable, but ascending. And you're also going to need DeAndre Aiden to maintain a high level of play on the floor. But just like you meant, I really like them as a contender out West. I know a lot of teams don't like the Suns because what the Suns represent, um, what they bring to the floor every night. They do give off a winner's mentality, even though they haven't won the championship. But I feel like you kind of have to have that mentality to be a champion. And so you got to act like you've been there to ultimately get there and win it all. So I like where their headspace at. I like the roster, I like the unit. They're really my third best team out West that I feel like is a legit contender. Now to round it all up for you, Clem, who's that final team that you feel like is a contender out West before we pivot to the pretenders? Um, I, I mentioned the Pels, obviously. Um, but the the Grizzlies, I have the Grizzlies on the list. Um, obviously, as we talked about, I had my concerns about them um, and still do. Um, but I can't knock what I've been seeing. Um, being able to see Santi Aldama come in and fill that void while Jaron Jackson was out being able to stretch the floor. And he plays with some grit. You know, I, I thought that was that was the thing for me. I was like, oh, you know. Maybe he's kind of soft, but he set the tone from day one. Like, he was going at guys' neck. He was blocking shots. He's trying to dunk on guys. And he's not like a braggadocious guy, even though that's kind of like the aura around that young team. Um, but he, you can tell he has internal confidence, and I think that's what he needs um, at that stretch four position. Um, LaRavia has been playing well, uh, too, um, being able to shoot the ball, stretch the floor. Um, that's been great. And then Ja has even taken another step as a perimeter scorer. Obviously, you know, he can get to the rack whenever he wants, finish over anybody. But um, he's shooting the ball better from three and is uh, not only more confident, but hitting that mid-range jumper um, in big moments as well. So definitely I'd love to see all of that. So as much as I would hate to go back and say, hey, I didn't see this coming, um, you know, I got to keep it a buck and, you know, be objective and, and give them their props because, and props to you as well, uh, because you definitely, we go back and forth about this all the time. I still think they may finish outside of the top four. Um, but right now they are definitely on my contenders list. Yeah, man, I try to give you that insight, that plug early, but this has been a team that's been building their depth for the past three years. And, um, you didn't. You really didn't know the known of Salty Aldama. He was like the last first round pick, I think, in a draft two years ago. But seeing him play in the summer league was enough for me to be like, okay, he can bring something to the table. And that's continued so far. Where in those first sixteen games where Jaron wasn't there, he held his own and had 
nights where at times he give you a double-double. And if he's not giving you a double-double, he's giving you 18-7. and seven. And That's very good for your backup four guy. Um, for me, man, I talked about Memphis. I talked about Phoenix. The Los Angeles Clippers have at least shown to me when Kawhi Leonard is on the floor, they're a championship team. Um, he He's played nine games so far this year. He's 8-1 with the program. But his last three games – uh, recently, 25 points against Boston. He was a plus 23, um, plus minus wise, 10 to 12 from the field. 19 points against Minnesota. He was a plus 11. Then he had a season high 31 against the Washington Wizards. He was a plus nine. They won all those games. They're eight and one currently in the nine games he's played. Right now, he's kind of getting back into basketball shape while they rest Paul George. But I've seen the Clippers without them so yeah. far this year. They're a, they're a playing team. You get those two superstars in there. They're back to being kind of that contender everybody projected them to be early in the year. It's just when you hear rumblings about Kawhi maybe not being able to play at all because of the degenerative knee, you have a right to really be cause for pause. But he's returned. He's slowly coming back into form. And I like the addition of John Wall. He gives you something off the bench to team up with Reggie Jackson as dual playmakers. Um, Zubox has continued to improve every single year. My only concern with the Clippers, obviously, outside of injuries, um, they're a little bit undersized outside of Zubac they don't really have that backup big I know they've been trying Moses Brown I know they've been trying Diabite to kind of find out who can be their backup five moving forward they're going to eventually decide between those two but Clem I mean when Kawhi and Paul George played they they gave Boston the business and we all know what they're really waiting on is get to the playoffs have our core guys there and we can compete with anyone and that's why I think they're a contender out west because if those guys are playing, they're going to be a tough out for anybody in the Western Conference in a seven-game series. Yeah, and I actually had them on. They're like my fifth team, the sneaky team, to, because even if in a in a imperfect world, Kawhi is not consistently playing, Paul George is not consistently playing, I think they can still get the seven or eight seed. And I think they're the team that if they get in at the seven or eight, they can probably knock off one of the top fours. Um, depending on the matchup, but honestly, you may not like to hear it, but if the Grizzlies versus the healthy Clippers, I'm going with the healthy Clippers. Uh, but you know, we'll see. Time will tell. Um, if Kawhi can um stay healthy, but I'm sure we'll we'll get into that topic next. Yeah, man. Right now, the Clippers are the seventh seed, eighteen to fourteen. They trail Portland and Sacramento. Things can change. I think the way they're playing and the where the season's going, they'll probably be a top five seed. And that's that's enough to win the first round. And then now in the second round, New Orleans, Memphis, Phoenix, Denver, that's potentially who you're facing. And that's a that's a huge dynamic that I don't think those teams really want them problems, but time will tell, like you said, and we'll see from there. Uh pretenders. It's time to get with the pretenders in the Western Conference. Mm-hmm. Clem, I'm gonna let you go first. Your biggest pretender out west when it comes uh, to competing for a conference title is who and why yeah i'm gonna start at the um top of the list as far as pretenders go and that's portland man um like they started off really hot well i believe they're top three in the in the western conference early on but as we're seeing dame comes back he plays well. He's still playing at an all-star level. But then he's he keeps having these little knick-knack injuries. Like he just uh hurt his ankle last game. 
Um, he, he finished the game, but still at his age, you know, getting into that mid thirties range, we're continuously seeing like these guys, you know, ankle injury here, foot injury there, hamstring here. Um, and those things add up over the course of an 82 game season. So although they're, they're sitting pretty firmly right now, I'm not worried about a playing spot at the six seed, but I still worry that they're not really a team to be worried about. I think at the most, they're going to be out in the first round, like as, as great as Dame has been playing. And Jeremy Grant, even, I think he's having a fringe all-star season and even Anthony Simons, like he's having close to 30 when Dame's out. Uh, obviously, I had Shaden Sharp as one of my rookie of the year candidates, and he's been playing uh, really great off the bench, um, loving what he's bringing. Um, Eubanks has been a great spark off the bench as well. Um, great collection of guys. I just think they're bound to go home in the first round just because the top four seeds are just so much better than them. You're not lying. And um, before I kind of dive into my my top one, uh, I want to give Portland props because coming into the year, I was telling Deshaun on the side, yo, I think the Wizards will probably have a better record than the Blazers <laughs> this year. That's not going to happen. Yeah. And that's, kudos to, that's kudos to Chauncey Billups, man. He's doing a great job mm-hmm. over there in Portland. Um, they constructed the squad around Dame, boot around a defensive identity, a grinding mentality, and an offensive. We're going to lean on our explosive combo guards and Lillard and Anthony Simons, and both have taken, really in my eyes, all-star leaps. The biggest issue I have with Portland, which is why I don't really have them a pretender, I, I just I just acknowledge them being, at worst, a playing team. At best, a six seed, which means you're not in the play-in, but you just missed it. And they're probably going to lose in the first round because offensively, it's the same song and dance. They still do ISO a lot. Now, Dame's playmaking a little bit more, which is cool. And obviously, when Lillard's not on the floor, Simon suffers because he's tasked with those playmaking duties and he's not there yet. But, I, you know, as great as they've been defensively, um, it's probably the best defensive unit they've had in Lillard's career. Eventually, you're going to need offensive scoring for more than just Simons, Lillard, and Grant. And when I see Memphis, they their whole five, have, well, four of their five have a guy that can go on a run for about two minutes. Um, Pelicans the same way, Denver the same way. Portland just don't have that offensive firepower, and that's necessary in the West. Now, if they were in the East, I think that play style is good enough to win a series. Out West, yeah. I don't even think that's good enough to win two games mm-hmm. in a series. So that's really my biggest issue with the Blazers. But they're not a pretender for me because I don't look at them as a team that everybody feels like can come out of the West. Denver is, and they're number one. And the reason why, Clem, is 28th defensive rating. It's the third worst defensive rating in basketball. They've held only two teams below 100 points. That was the Lakers and the Mavericks, and the Mavericks beat them when they were held under 100 points as well. Look, man, they can score with the best of them. I think they have seven to eight guys on the roster who are averaging double digits right now, but they can't stop a traffic cone. They can't stop anybody. They were playing Charlotte last night, man, and I'm looking at the game. They go up by, like, double digits. Jokic has, like, 20 boards, like, 25 points. He's doing everything. So I'm like, all right, cruise control. Next thing I know, it's a three-point game near the end of the fourth, and they're having to sweat out a victory against the Charlotte Hornets, who can't score with the best, but the Charlotte Hornets have only won seven games. And the night before, they were up by double digits against the Lakers. I'm like, this is good. Wake up the next morning, they lose by double digits. L.A. scores a buck 27 without A.D. in the second half. So they can't stop anybody. 
And just like we talked about the Blazers, we wonder if they have enough offensive firepower outside of their two guards. With Denver, you can't outscore your opponents out west and expect that to be enough to win a playoff series. I know everybody remembers prime Golden State. They could do no wrong offensively, but they were always a top five to ten defensive team in basketball. And when they needed defensive stops in the postseason, they can give you two to three stretches of great defensive basketball. That's enough to win a game by double digits. Denver can't do that. And I'm glad Jamal Murray's back. You alluded to Michael Porter Jr. I don't really think his loss is going to hurt them as much. I do think him being back consistently gives them more added push. But I think they've offset that with Bruce Brown, KCP, Bones Highland, Aaron Gordon's kind of improved. He's becoming like a 15 to 8 fringe double-double guy. They need to get stops, man. And a lot of that is on Malone. Malone is not that guy. And as long as he's there, their energy level defensively just isn't going to be it. And come on, Clem, I'm going to be honest. If they don't get to the Western Conference Finals this year, they got to pull the plug. And I think this is where it is with Denver. A lot of, not just you, a lot of of NBA insiders, fans feel Denver's a top three seed out West. If you're a top three seed out West, especially with the experience Denver has in the conference final and in the semis, you got to get back to the conference finals. You got to get at least back to the precipice of re-entering, or for them, entering the NBA finals. And if they don't do that, then you got to get a new voice in there because Jokic is too talented. They have too talented of an offensive roster with defensive guys. Bruce Brown and KCP can get down low and get stops. And for them to allow all but two opponents to get 100 points on them at least, on the defensive end, it's unacceptable. So that's my word. That's why Denver's a pretender. When you say blow it up, what what exactly do you mean? Get rid oh, of uh, Jamal no. Murray and and Michael Porter Jr. No, no, no. They don't have to blow it up. They just need a new coach. Um, okay. I'm going to give them the same treatment I gave Utah. Now Utah eventually blew it up, but I remember you and Deshaun were kind of asking me, "Yo, what should Utah do?" And I was like, "To be honest." get younger on the wing and just get a new voice in there that's not Quinn Sider because I think his message had ran his course. They're talented enough to where they shouldn't blow it up at all. But yeah. if Malone can't get them over the top in the Western Conference that we both agree is wide open, like Golden State's regressed, Dallas has regressed. Yes, Memphis and New Orleans are at the top, but they're very young and they haven't been there yet like this core has. That's a problem. So this is it. They need to get there at least. I don't trust them in my eyes, man. They may even lose in the first round because oh, they they Ooh. it depends it depends on the matchup. It I depends might have on to the quote matchup. You on that one. It I depends on the matchup. On I'm one. just saying. Now, if they play Portland round one, they could beat Portland. Too much firepower. Um, and I don't think they as good as Portland is defensively. They don't have that defensive stopper to neutralize Murray or Jokic. But if they play Dallas. While Dallas probably can't stop their, you know, balanced offensive attack, they can't guard Luka. And Dallas, man, they got the shooters. If they start hitting shots from deep and that court spread, and now it's like, all right, we got to trap Luka, that's even more opportunistic look. So I don't know about the Nuggets, man. They really could lose in the first round depending on the matchup. But for right now, they're a huge pretender for me. And I need to see some defensive acumen for me to be sold on the potential that a lot of people in the league think they could reach. Well, I, I think the, the only way they'd lose in the first round is if they played a healthy uh, – I can't – I don't even know. Yeah, Clippers probably, but anybody else in the West, I think they can score enough points. And a lot of these teams, honestly, in the West don't uh, play as much defense. Grizzlies uh, outside of that conversation. But 
Pelicans, Suns have their days, um, and obviously Clippers uh, injury history. But time will tell. We'll see. That might be the name of this episode, time will tell. Time will tell, (laughs) for sure, for sure. Second pretender team for you, Clem, um, Um, behind what you just listed. I'm going to go to my hometown, Minneapolis, and call out the Wolves, man. Um, You talk about pulling the plug. I just – I was all for the Rudy Gobert trade. I thought there was a way to make it work, and it just is not working. And obviously, you know what team I'm on as far as trading Lila. Um, Having a great December, by the way. Um, sell high. This is the time to get rid of them. Um, December 15th has passed. There are more guys you can trade for. So, um, it, on a serious note, though, um, the Wolves have just, outside of the overall record, um, them sitting number 10 in the West, um, their vibes and body language has just been terrible. And for a team, to over-succeed um, the year prior and then to bring in a piece like Gobert, a defensive player of the year, a multi-time all-star, and then for them to regress in the standings, it's just it's really debilitating. And um, it looks like they're happier playing when he's off of the floor. And then even earlier in the year, Carl Anthony Towns calling out um, – um, calling out uh, Ant about his diet and things like that. That's just not the environment of a cohesive, healthy team that's all on one page. Um, obviously, I don't think they're going to fire um, the head coach, but I just don't know where to turn right now. I've heard a lot of uh, rumors about them getting Gobert was kind of like a way to replace Colin Fee Towns if they don't want to give him the Supermax. Um, in a couple of years, but I just don't know. It's kind of like you're replacing, you know, a bad decision with a even worse decision uh, because ultimately I feel like Ant is going to leave anyways. Um, I think as soon as his, uh, he gets going to get that max contract, he's going to um, live it out, but I think he's going to go back to the Hawks. And uh, I heard a very interesting trade, obviously with everything happening with the Hawks, if you trade Trey Young for Carl Anthony Towns in a year or two, that might be fair value when you really look at it. Um, obviously, I think Atlanta would be hanging up the phone to that. But if things continue to go the way they've gone, like if Atlanta doesn't perform um, up to par this year and they're in the plane again and has another first round exit, then Trey Young, you know doesn't or continues to butt heads like I can see a world where that happens but nevertheless uh the Wolves are my pretender just because of the fact that um they're wildly underperforming and the vibes are just off and they're not even looking like they're gonna compete really for that playing spot because it by the time Curry comes back I think they'll they'll probably get that 10 seed but We'll see. I think the Wolves is a, a pretender as of now, though. Yeah, I put the Wolves three. Um, look, I'm a little bit more optimistic than you because the way I'm seeing it is this. Um, 
I think the struggles of their front court unit offensively have a lot to do with the guard play early on in the year. It just wasn't consistent enough. Um, Anthony Edwards, for what it's worth, he kind of came back um, this season with the same game. He didn't really add a mid-range. The three-point shot hasn't been relatively consistent. His playmaking ability has been on and off. And he did complain, you know, press conference-wise about, yo, I don't have spacing. But I think the way they constructed this team, bro, you're going to have to add elements within your game to thrive despite the lack of spacing, which means you're going to have to become a mid-range extraordinaire, and you're going to have to find creative ways to play making future bigs, Gobert, and Towns to maximize their ability. They built this twin tower element within their squad to, in essence, play through them and to allow Edwards, if you know their bigs are playing at a productive level, to eat off of their productivity by making the mid-range and the, and the two-point shots. And D'Lo, he was very erratic early on in the year as well. But December has been great for both of those guards. And when Towns and Gobert haven't been on the floor, it allows them to have free space and rain to thrive. But the way this team was constructed, they're just going to have to figure it out. And you alluded to they got ta- they got Gobert to not pay Towns, but they already paid Towns. He's on a Supermax deal. So I think for this team to maximize itself offensively, D'Lo and Russell are just going to have to be more selective concise and cohesive offensively as playmakers and mid-range scores. I mean, that's, that's just the bottom line, but the biggest thing they're missing, man, they're missing Pat Bev, bro. He was their heart and soul of that team. And there's been rumors and Pat Bev kind of blurted it out, maybe on his podcast on Twitter, who knows saying if the Lakers let him go, like buy him out, he would love to go back to Minnesota. And if that's an option, Minnesota needs to take that because I think, they're missing his fire. They're missing his passion, his grit, because they come out at times every night, hit or miss. And when you look at their five, but when you look at their team, their leader is what? Kyle Anderson? That's not enough. You need that guy that can relay the message to you, but with a tenacity of fever and also an importance like, look, man, we got to get this right. But when Towns got went out, I was like, look, this month of December is huge. Because if they can get through the month of December at least 500 or a few games over, that's enough for when Towns comes back. You have a positive source of momentum that you can build on from there. And right now they're 15 and 15. They dropped a buck 50 on the Bulls. But when those bigs come back, their offensive productivity at the guard play is going to look different. But it's going to need to be different and productive at the same time for them to really be what I had coming into the year. I thought they were like the third best team in the West. And I think they could get there. I think it's just going to take time. Um, and for some squads, time is 15 to 20 games. For some, it's 35. For some, it's to the all-star break. And then after the all-star break, it clicks. And that's why I'm being a little bit optimistic with them. But it does look like this season they're not going to live up to the Western Conference Finals potential. Um, who's your final team before we pivot to the next topic? Um, my last team, I had Utah in the match on here, but I didn't expect them Utah Jazz to be a contender for real. Um, so that being said, the math, but even them, they're just like, they need, they, Luca needs his second guy. Um, I just think he's in that, that, that weird phase of his career. Um, we saw it with LeBron. We saw it with Kobe. We saw it with even Harden to an extent where his playing style is just not conducive to winning basketball and
he's putting up these ridiculous numbers and it looks great. Um, so you're like, wow, he, he needs help. And he does need help. But it's just at this point, that type of high usage basketball, we've seen it time and time again from the greatest of players. It just doesn't result in winning basketball games. So uh, I have them as, as the pretender there. But then again, I, I didn't have high hopes from them anyway. So that's where I stand with them. Yeah, they're a pretender for me only because Luka Doncic is a top three player in basketball. At best, top five at worst. Um, he is at the point in his career where he's very talented, but due to his play style and high usage rate, you pretty much understand that style of basketball has a shelf life. And like Harden, you know, when he was with Dwight Howard um, early in his career, and he kind of played the same way, um, that got you to a conference final. And it also got hard and blasted by the Warriors. So, Luca, same <laughs> fate last year. Got you to a conference final. You got blasted by the Warriors. Um, he needs a second guy, but in the process of him getting his second guy, he's going to have to change how he plays. And two things he has to add to his game is become a better off-ball scorer and a better off- and a better spot-up shooter. Um, we all know right now Luca's just a volume shooter where he needs enough reps to kind of get into a groove. But for him to be off-ball and maximize the ability of a – Spencer Dinwiddie and a Christian Wood, you got to be a better spot-up shooter. And he's too gifted of a passer to not utilize that playmaking ability consistently. It's very selective. It's like, okay, when he feels like it, he'll do it. But when he goes score mode, he's just tunnel vision locked in. Nobody else is touching the basketball. Um, and it's heartbreaking to see Jalen Brunson and Christoph Porzingis, two former Mavs who were with the squad, when Luka was there, ball out elsewhere because it just really highlights – when you're with Luka, kind of like Harden did to CP3, what LeBron did a little bit to D-Wade, um, Kyrie to, not really Kyrie to an extent, but D-Wade for an extent, Chris Bosh, he has the ball all the time. He needs the lane to kind of be productive. It makes you a spot-up shooter. It constricts your ability to be a creative offensive scorer. So he's a top-five talent, and because of that, this team should always be contending in their conference, and they're not right now. And coming into the year, we both understood the roster wasn't good enough to reach the potential that everybody saw within this team from a year ago. And then Lucas not changing his game. So one's got to give for them to reach the potential. And right now none's giving and they're currently just a 500 team. So they're a pretender for me too. We're going to pivot to the next topic. Who's truly turning the corner the Brooklyn Nets, or the Los Angeles Clippers. Now, we talked about the Clippers in the first topic, how we kind of both feel they're contenders out west. But if we want to keep it a buck about the Nets, they've shown the most consistent level of progress the last 24 games under Jacques Vaughn. They went 17-7, and 10-1 and in their last 11, and currently they have a top-10 offense and a top-15 defense. Clement, when they let go of Steve Nash, the narrative was he was the scapegoat. And you guys been hearing from me about Steve Nash the past few seasons. He's not a good coach. Getting rid of him is the, the greatest blessing in disguise. Um, Jock Vaughn comes in and he's an NBA coach and he looked like an NBA team again, mainly because of rotations, understanding the tempo of the game, the temperature of the game in retrospect. But another big reason as well, Kyrie Irving is invested in basketball. He's looking like a professional again. Do you, do you think those two, Big sums have really led to, well, two big additions have led to the biggest sum of all, which is the Brooklyn Nets looking like a top four team in the Eastern Conference. Well, I I wouldn't put all of the onus on 
the Steve Nash firing. And, you know, you know my stance on that as far as um, Jacqueline is, is doing a great job. Um, but I still think that it's the guys on the court that had more to do with what was going on more so than just Steve Nash. Uh, he deserved a, a piece of the blame pie. But um, I think Kyrie deserved the biggest slice of the pie. Obviously, Kyrie is playing now um, and playing consistently and playing at a high level. Um, so that's helping them. And they're finding this stride with uh, Ben Simmons out. But that's the question for me is, will he help them or hurt them when he returns? And can Kyrie keep this consistency of being on the court um, over the next two or three months? As we know, he has a month where there's either he's hurt or there's something going on in his world where he's not available. Then he'll come two, three months play at a high level, but then something else always comes up. So my question is, what will be the next thing be? And if there's not a next thing, will Ben Simmons be that next thing? Like when he comes back, is he going to be playing with confidence like he was playing before his injury? Or is he going to come back and be more timid and like you have to start this whole process over again with him? Um, and then even the last thing, um, well, before I even say that, their last six games been great. They're on a winning streak. They're playing well. But, like, let, let's really talk about who they played here, all right? You got Charlotte, Atlanta, Detroit, Indiana, Washington, and Toronto. I mean, those are all struggling teams. Like, let's be honest. Atlanta just got back to the 500 mark. Uh, but all those other teams are under 500 and really aren't. Outside of Toronto, they're still trying to compete, but Washington's sliding down. Pacers are sliding down. Um, Charlotte's one of the worst teams in the league. Detroit's one of the worst teams in the league. So not the best competition to evaluate if they're really trending in the right position or not, but nevertheless, winter wins. Um, but the, the thing that worries me the most outside of Kyrie is Durant. Um, not because of his performance. He has been playing at an MVP level. But because when I look at the last five of the six years, he's played under 70 games. That worries me, especially him being a 34-year-old um, sharpshooter and not a guy with a whole bunch of weight on him. Um, and then we also look at um, the last three years, he's played zero games with the Achilles injury, um, 35 games he got injured um, during that season, and then 55 games. So I'm looking at it, okay, he's 34. Um, how many games can you really expect him to play at this level? Maybe he defies odds. Maybe he's going to be the next LeBron where we see him play into his, you know, late 30s at a high level. But just the way things have been training in the last, especially four years or so, I think he's going to miss a chunk of games this season. And when that happens, like Kyrie's going to step up as the leader. And we all know that's, <laughs> that's that's where things get a little iffy because that's when Jock Bond's really going to get tested. When Kyrie gets back in his, oh, well, we don't need a coach. Like, K's out. I'm going to take control. I'm going to steer the ship, you know. So that that that's what I'm worried about. But um, I think that they're in a good position now. They're fourth in the East, and they've turned the corner. Um, so let's see what K, Kyrie can do and uh, KD can do moving forward. 
Yeah, valid, valid points, valid points indeed. Um, the last 11 games, Durant's averaged 32.7 points per game, that's second in the league on 63% shooting. Kyrie has averaged 27.4 points per game on 50% shooting also during that span. I think the biggest worry when Kyrie came back from the suspension was how would he assimilate with Jacques Vaughn? And he assimilated pretty well. So, look, they look bought in and invested. And with Kai, you make a great point. I haven't seen him this invested in basketball since he got traded to the Celtics. Which scares and, me. You know, which, is, <laughs> which is scary because we remember during that time, he was really invested for like 20 games and then he got hurt. And, and then, then once yeah. he got hurt, he was never really consistently in the lineup ever again. And so I think what Vaughn's doing right now is he's micromanaging the minutes of his two stars. And he's got them out there together. And when he has a chance to stagger them, he does. And so there's there's moments where it's a lineup with KD, with some role players. And then when he sits down, Kyrie with some role guys. But the role guys have established a role. And Vaughn is playing these guys. He's playing different individuals every night, depending on – the tenor of the game and matchup wise, how do we need to coincide with our opponent? But the biggest thing for the Nets moving forward, because right now um, I do think, you know, coming into the year, I had them as a tier two team. They're still a tier two team. Currently they're still an undersized team. Claxton's they're big um, at six eleven. Durant's technically the tallest, but Durant likes to play on the wing. Claxton gives you energy and effort because ironically enough, the Nets are number one in the NBA and blocks per game. But We know when they play Embiid, when they play Giannis, that's just a different bully. And they need to address that fast. And their fan base has continued to say, you know, beg Sean Marks, please address this fast. And there's big, there's going to be bigs on the market. So there's no excuse by the deadline. They don't add a Obama to a team. Or if the Pacers continue to slide, knock on the door and see how much Miles Turner may cost. But they have turned the corner. Um, Obviously, moving forward, we're going to see how they fare against more elite teams, but the big thing for them is it's a process. Early in the year, Clem, they weren't beating the Torontos. Well, they were beating Toronto, but they weren't beating Indiana. They would have lost to a Charlotte. They would have struggled to a Detroit. Now the bad teams, the mid-tier teams, they're dispatching them. And now it's time for the process of how you fare against the elite ones. And during that span, they lost to Boston. This is when Boston was still at their apex. And during that game, it was relatively close until the fourth. But the biggest thing that's really helped them turn around this season, man, is their defense. They were one of the worst defensive teams under Steve Nash. Jacques Vaughn comes in and really establishes a defensive culture, and their two stars have bought into it. Like Kyrie's playing defense like I ain't never seen him play D. Still gambles and reaches, but he's competing. Durant's competing and giving you effort, and that's contagious now. But, you know, Ben Simmons' availability is important. He's been out there so far, um, and he's giving them Draymond Green-type numbers, type energy. But um, I like what they're building. I think right now, the way they're constructed, they can win a playoff series. After that, I don't really know. But they're in a much better space than they were early in the year, and that's really all you can ask for. Well, right now, they're currently matched up with the Philadelphia 76ers. So, a quick question. First, if the playoffs started today, who are you taking in that series? I know your answer, but I just want to hear you. Man, I see that going seven, but I rock with Brooklyn. And the main reason why is because Doc Rivers going to dock it up. And I and I have questions about Joel Embiid and James Harden. Will they be healthy by the time that series comes around? Because we always know with Embiid, every time he gets to the playoffs, he's knit. And I think that's the main reason why last year they didn't beat the Heat. A healthy Embiid beats Miami because Miami didn't have an answer for Embiid. He's too much of a beast on the block, and he's a defensive um enforcer as well. So, 
I rock with the Nets, but um, that would be a great series to watch because I think both right now are starting to play better basketball. And we got to include Tyrese Maxey in that series as well. He's been out for a month since the freak entry against the Bucks. He was my most improved player type candidate coming into the year. And I think, you know, he's going to provide that other dimension as a 20 point per game score. Yeah, I, I, I still I'm still high on uh, Philly. I think when Maxey comes back, um, they can jump into that top three contention where I had them at the beginning of the year. But um, we'll see. We'll definitely see. We'll see indeed. Uh, pivoting to the next topic, the Celtics, are they matchup vulnerable? Clem in the month of December, they've went four and five and have the worst offensive rating in basketball this month against the Warriors and Clippers. The dynamic duo of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown combined for eight of 32 from three, showcasing their struggles against teams with multiple wings. Brown still has his dribbling issues. Tatum struggles against bracket coverage. But, bro, their lowest moment of all, they played the Magic back-to-back recently, lost mm-hmm. both of those games. They lost the first one where it was Tatum and Brown. They both struggled from the field as a duo when they played together. And then when it was just Brown because they gave Tatum rest, I think Brown shot 10 of 26 from the field, 2 of 10 from deep. We had this conversation in the chat where I kind of came to a conclusion, and you agree, if you have multiple wings on defense, you can give Boston hell in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And right now they're starting to fall back to earth. And their style of play early in the year, which allowed them to ride high, was just going to shoot the lights out from deep and showcase the dual, you know, the three the three level scoring ability of Brown and Tatum. That was killing teams. But now their shooting starting to come back to earth. Now Brown and Tatum are starting to come off of their scoring high, and they look very beatable and vulnerable. Are you worried that this Boston team that we had projected as a top two seed out East may not even be able to reach their potential and go back to the finals? Due to how no, they play offense, I'm not worried. Um, primarily because Robert Williams is just now returning, and as it's it's kind of like a, a great symmetry because their offense, them scoring so much, especially from the three point line, um, early on in the season, with it coming down now, and their defense was still playing at an elite level. So it's I feel like with the um, insertion of Robert Williams those two are just going to switch places. Um, I think they're still going to score at a high clip, but Robert Williams being back and being able to be that defensive force, I think that's going to make things so much easier. And Tatum has really been putting in a lot of effort on defense this year. Um, And I think that he'll be able to not go as hard on defense and, you know, funnel some of the guys towards Robert Williams because he can – you know, make up a lot of space with his athleticism and defensive abilities. Um, I think that'll open up the game for Marcus Smart as well. Um, so I, I'm not I'm not worried about them. One thing I, I am worried about, and I, I started to question myself with um, when I saw the Warriors game, it's like it's like they went into they went into like a, a closet full of their skeletons for the first time. It's like you go through therapy and you're like, oh, yeah, I feel so much better. I'm ready to, like, face my demons and get out into the world and be a better person, be a better me. And then you get – it's all good until you get back to that same spot where it really broke you the first time you had to go to therapy. So now it's like that's that was their breaking point. It's like, okay, well, I thought I was, like, past this, but now, now that I've been faced with this challenge that broke me the first time, you see all their bad habits are coming out. Jason Tatum's 
not able to get to the rim all year. He's been slicing and dicing, getting to the rim with those zeros. Um, Jalen Brown has looked like a way better ball handler, more confident. And then they got to that game, and Jalen Brown's dribbling off his foot again. And um, Tatum can't get to the uh, rim and finish strong. And I just think that that especially with Draymond just being the loud person he is, and then even I think <laughs> I think. Um, um, drawing a blank on his name now. Um, darn it. Um, Grant Williams. He, Grant Williams. Gotcha. I think he wants to be what Draymond is. Um, very confident guy. And even down the stretch yesterday against the Orlando Magic, made some pretty bonehead um, um, plays with that last pass. I and mean, then even the last shot um, to to try to win the game. But I think he wants to be Draymond Green. I think every time he plays him, he tries so hard to like show him and prove to him. And I think that that's ultimately their downfall. And I'm just questioning now, is this something that they're just going to have to keep going up against it to get over the hump? Or is that something like that's their crutch? Like every time they face this type of team with um, solid uh, guard play and wing play that they're going to struggle. So I think they'll, they'll they'll be fine, but it, it was scary to see that uh, you know that Christmas game against uh, the Bucks is going to be a, a true test to you know who they are and what they stand for. Yeah, I mean, look, when they played the Warriors, I was like, okay, we're going to see um, how much they've learned throughout the early part of the year. Can they attest that to a team that really took them to the woodshed to end the season on a defensive end? And like you said, all the bad habits came out, but you know. Their coaching staff is going to have to make, I think, a big decision. Now, Robert Williams coming back will only help defensively. Um, Al Horford returning will only help. So I think the rim protection, the rebounding, that'll, that'll be an uptick. That'll improve. I think it's time to start Malcolm Brogdon over Marcus Smart. I just think it is. I mean, Ooh. he's giving you solid level of productivity off the bench to the point where imagine if you had that in your five to where now against Golden State, now against – the Clippers now, even against the Lakers, even though they beat the Lakers, when things get a little hectic, erratic, and tight, you have that calming force at the one spot yeah. that can settle everybody down and get them into their sets. I don't really think Marcus Smart is that guy. And so as long as his presence is out there, and I know he's the emotional leader, but he plays really erratic. And so maybe that calming presence and Brogdon being inserted into the five can help that team take the next step against those multiple wing defensive oppositional teams that they're going to face down the line. But that Milwaukee game during Christmas is going to be a huge test because right now they're treading in no man's land They're They've went four and five in the last nine games. That spark that they had early on in the year is kind of dimmed into still a bright light, but it's a manageable light to say the least. And I just want to see how they play against Milwaukee because Milwaukee's including Middleton back into the fold. That's an element they didn't play in the playoffs last year. Giannis is playing particularly well. And I think the Milwaukee Bucks this season have played, they've developed a much better defensive identity to where they're guarding the perimeter instead of funneling the lane and then letting you take threes. They're guarding that and still allowing you to go into the lane where the size and the impact at the rim in Lopez and Giannis is still there. So that Boston game is going to teach a lot. But right now, I do think their matchup base until they implement Brogdon into the starting lineup. If Brogdon by the end of the year is in the starting lineup and they look a lot different against these teams, then they'll be fine. I think they'll get to the conference finals. But like you said, their demons came out when they played Golden State and they looked relatively vulnerable against that type of squad. 
to the point where I'm just like, well, I don't think they could be Gold State. Now, yeah. they'll have the privilege of not probably not playing them when they get to the finals because I don't think Golden State's going back. But you may, you're going to still face a team like that in Milwaukee potentially. So, can you get over that hump as well? Those are all big questions, and I can't wait to see how Boston answers them. Yeah, I'm not opposed to starting Malcolm Brogdon. I just think with uh, Marcus Smart being that emotional leader, I think that's a conversation. Um, Missoula's going to have to go to him one-on-one and not tell him, but ask him um, and give him, you know, make him feel like he has control over that situation um, in order for that to work. But I do agree that Malcolm Brogdon, I mean, if we even go back to this time last year, I remember um, when people were trying to break up Tatum and Brown, I was opposed to it. And I was like, I think if they just need a point guard, like a Malcolm Brogdon, I was literally the name I used, but I just didn't think he would be available because of, you know, what he meant to Indiana at the time. But fast forward, they trade for Halliburton, um, and then he becomes more expendable at that point, and he lands with uh, the Celtics. So um, I think they are best with Marcus Smart as the sixth man. But once again, um, that's something they're going to have to ease their way into and make sure that he's okay with that and accepts that role kind of like a uh, Iguodala did and um, like Amano Ginobili did, even though he's not at that caliber of those players. You're right. And ultimately, if you want to win a championship, sacrifices like that need to be made. Indeed. I have a feeling Smart may resist it at first, but it's all about winning. And no one's going to take that emotional leader title away from you just because you're coming off the bench. You can still be that guy. It's just when it's time to play basketball in a tight moment down the stretch where the game is close. We need that presence in there that's methodical and is going to get everybody in the right place to maximize their ability at scores. And so I think Brogdon's that over smart at this point in time. Um, last but not least, topic-wise, before we wrap up, first episode of NBA Monday, the MVP there. race, Clem. It's been hella hectic, hella close. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard different names. I mean, I've you know, the NBA.com, they stay with their MVP ladder. It changes all the time. Got Luca fans mad. They're like, man, Luca should be up there. He's giving you 35 and, and 8 and 7. Um, Josh playing particularly well, and Memphis is the top seed. Jokic is having an even better year than he ever had in his other two MVP seasons. And we can't forget about Giannis when he's available and then Embiid when he's healthy. Um, Right now, who is your top three MVP guys at this point in the season? Yeah, first, I would just like to say shout out to Sekou Smith, man, RIP. Uh, he used to do the MVP ladder. So um, definitely every time I hear that, I think of him. But um, I know the NBA does not have a true definition for the award. So I created one for myself. Um, and I think if you look at the history of the award, I think it if it it's um, and I have the best player on a top six team in their conference that is doing something new. And I have new um, in caps because I think that the narrative plays a big part in who wins the award every year. Um, And for that reason, my top three, I have Tatum number one, I have Giannis number two, and I have Jokic number three. those the reason obviously I think Tatum fits the bill more than anyone just because obviously he's going to be on I think a top two team in his conference um and then he's he's showing something newer 
than Giannis and and uh, Jokic is. And obviously, there's voter fatigue there with the two of them. Um, the last guy to win three MVPs, um, I believe LeBron, and then obviously uh, Larry Bird before that. So it 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 doesn't happen very often. Um, I think what two times in the last almost 40 years. So for them to not be at the stardom that a Larry Bird was at and a LeBron James was at, I think the league will be very hesitant to give them that award, especially before Jokic ever wins in, uh, a championship or even gets to a finals and before Giannis, you know, gets back to the finals because some people think it was a bit of a fluke, but I count it all for everything because that 55 piece in the finals. But nevertheless, uh, Tatum is my number one because he came back, he's scoring more points, um, and then he's playing more defense. And I think it shows in his game. He had very uh, big glaring holes in his game in the finals. And I think, like we talked about uh, in the last segment, he's we've seen him improve in those. He's attacking the basket stronger. He's coming out and playing aggressive every night. And you can just tell, like, I know he's been big on the mama mentality, but I feel like he's actually applying it more so this year. So that's why I have him number one. Um, obviously, Giannis and uh, Joker, um, I think they're both going to be on top three teams in their conference, and they're not going to bring anything new. And I think that's what's going to really be the, the reason why they don't win the award, um, because they've just been dominant for the last three years. Um, and even though they're maintaining that level of stardom, it's just when these type of awards happen, there has to be an uptick for somebody to say, hey, that guy needs to win the MVP. Um, two contenders that I have here, I have John Book. They were on the list last year as well. Um, obviously, John Morant on uh, the best team in the, league, um, in the West right now. And he made a jump this year too, but it wasn't as significant as the one he made last year. And his team's pretty much in the same position as they were last year. So I don't think he has that new factor that they're looking for. And then also Book, I just, I don't know. I don't think people take him as seriously because even though he is playing at a high level, I think when you look at like the top five guys in the league or even top seven, I don't think most people have him in there. So um, unless he starts averaging like 35 a game or something like that we have not seen in, you know, five plus years. Um, I just don't see him getting into that category. But those are my five guys. Hey, all fair assessments, really good assessments as well. Um, with the MVP award, I think what's really going to carry the tone this year is two elements. Number one, your record. Um, and the second one, the newness. Um, I don't think they're going to give it to Giannis and Jokic right now. Um, and they're playing phenomenal. Um, Giannis and Jokic both have two MVPs. I think they have voter fatigue with those two guys. But off rip, I think Giannis and Jokic are in, they're in my top three. Um, but a surprise new name that's going to be in the top three as well. They really love John Morant. Like the NBA loves him. Um, social media, NBA social media page, whatever fabulous play Morant does, they always post it. They always give it a solid caption. They give it the type of recognition. I think the league is ready to crown Morant as in their eyes the next Allen Iverson and D Rose of this era. Um, I think they like what he brings to the table as a personality and his game is very dynamic and flashy right now. The Grizzlies are a top seed. 
and he has upticks in his game. Assist numbers have went up, rebound numbers have went up. The scoring is kind of the same, but if he plays 60 to 65 games and the end of the year he's averaging 28, 8, and 7, and the Grizzlies are the number one team in the West, I think he's going to win MVP. And coming into the year, he was my MVP favorite. I think what's going to hurt Tatum is Brown is on his team and he's giving you 28. So they're looked more as a pair in terms of separate individuals. And the reason why Durant won his in OKC was because Westbrook went out for a while. And that allowed him to carry the load and take that next step to where when Westbrook came back, he had already submitted himself as like a top five player in the league where it was like, yeah, let's give it to him. Unless Brown gets hurt, I don't really see, as long as they're still healthy, Tatum providing enough of a separation and at a war race compared to a Morant or a Jokic or a Giannis. So I think that's the reality there. But they're going to go with a first-time winner. It's going to be a first-time guy to win the award for the most part. And I think the only way that doesn't happen is if Memphis, Phoenix, New Orleans, those three teams, they slide. And then by the end of the year, like Milwaukee's the best team by like five games. And then if it's that, it's like, well, I mean, if that's true, and Giannis is averaging 29, 10, and 8, it's like, well, we, you kind of got to go to him. But I think that's my top three right now, Giannis, Jokic, Morant. And I think as long as Morant is healthy and Memphis ends with a top seed out west, I think they're going to give it to him because he's the face of the league, well, future one of the future faces of the league. And I think they're ready to go to that next step. I think they're ready to really reward the new generation so the league and the fanfare around them could kind of look into those guys as we prepare for the new era. Doncic would be an easy choice, but the Mavs are 500 and they're not playing yeah. well. So that the next best option is Morant or Booker. And I think right now Morant's in the driver's seat. If they continue to play well and he's available, I think he's probably going to get it. Yeah, I think the league, are, they're more likely to reward Giannis the third MVP um, than they are to give it to Jai just because um, I I love the um, Brian Windhorse and the Hoop Collective podcast. Spend probably way too much time listening to it. Um, but Tim Bontem just released the uh, straw poll that we did late last week. And, I mean, Jai's not even in the top three on that list. I mean, they even mentioned – you know, Zion ahead of him in some uh, some of the votings. But, like, Tatum led the way with 759 total points, followed by Giannis, who had 687. And then Luka, even with the 15-15 and 15 record, um, 392 points in third. Um, so I, I just don't see it. And even um, NBA, um, NBA reference page has, like, this really – basketball reference, I should say, has this really nice uh, MVP tracker where they combine basically all of the important statistics um, or accolades that, that uh, a player needs to win MVP. And, I mean, you look at the top 10 list, they don't even have John on it. It, it. It's in this order with Jokic, Luka, Giannis, Jason Tatum, KD, Anthony Davis, Tomatis Sabonis, which is crazy. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, Stephen Curry, and Zion Williamson. So, um, I don't know. I feel like Ja has the charisma to get it, but a lot of the times, I think in these MVP conversations, people legitimately ask themselves, "Can this guy be 
the best player in the world. And I think as exciting as uh, Ja is, I think that he's he's kind of in that Booker category where they're like, he's great, his team's winning, but I don't think I can ever put him over or in the category right now with a Giannis, a Jokic, or a Luka. But that's just my take. And that's fair. But I and I think normally that's usually who they give the MVP to. You think you sit down, you think about it like, hmm, who is the best? Who can we give this to to where we could generalize to the fan base? He's the best player in the world. But we've had other seasons where AI won it the year the Philly went to the finals. Westbrook won it. Yeah, he got the triple double, but I always will continuously say that probably should have been Harden's award, but they gave it to Westbrook. Yeah. Harden won it one year over LeBron James. Jokic has won it twice to the chagrin of Embiid supporters, Curry supporters, Giannis supporters. So they find ways to give it to guys that they feel statistically have the numbers and or the narrative. So I think because of that, Ja has a chance. But because everybody's playing out of their mind this year individually, it's it's like so crazy. And we're 30 games in and everybody, a lot of guys are playing out of their minds. I think seven guys averaging 30 points a game. 30 points. Like, it's crazy. crazy. So, because of that, I think what's ultimately going to separate those guys from each other is whose individual impact is helping team success. And I think that's going to kind of weed the pretenders out and kind of highlight the guys that really deserve the individual accolade. So, look, because of that, Jai has a great chance. But right now, I mean, Giannis and Jokic, you can't go wrong. And I appreciate it, bro, because I've been saying to you guys two years ago, Jokic is a top five NBA player. And I, I it took this year for people to be like, yeah, because he's going crazy. But I just looked at how he played the two years prior without Porter Jr., without Jamal Murray. And he was putting up crazy numbers that one year led to them winning a playoff series and at least getting to the second round. And he gave the Warriors as much as they could handle the final three games of that last first round series. So, you know. I'm glad these guys are getting recognition, but the MVP race is so close right now that, like I said before, winning success due to an individual's play will ultimately decide it. So we'll probably find a clearer picture and idea, honestly, like right after All-Star break, like after March, I think people will be like, okay, like it's him. So, but with that, man, that's it for NBA Monday. It was the first episode of my guy, Clement Gibson. Um, before we do, man, Clement, how was it, man? First time you on as a co-host, gonna really make this thing a weekly segment. First trial run is almost complete. How you feel about it and what you can't wait to talk about moving forward in these upcoming weeks? I feel good. I feel good. Um, uh, you know, I love talking about the game and definitely love bringing this to a bigger channel where we can talk and not have to tight as much you know i can get way more of my words out um no but definitely just looking forward to challenging you as i always do you know uh we're never one to not say how we feel or our opinions um and challenge each other so i think that's that's ultimately not only great for the the sport and just you know being able to to talk about it and you know analyze the game but just you know, it's just good for each of us with our basketball knowledge, just bouncing ideas off of each other. So, you know, I'm going to bring it every Monday. Um, next week, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing Zion more because I had him on my list for 
I don't think he's a faker, obviously, but uh, I just don't think he's put together enough of a resume and consistently playing to win the MVP award. But I mean, the the games that I've been seeing with him the last, you know, five, six games, man, like he's 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 up there. And then lastly, I think the um, the all star. I just think that's one of my favorite things to predict. And especially in the Western Conference where it's so jam packed. I mean, just thinking about the guards, you got obviously Luca and uh, uh, Book and then you got Ja and Curry, like those guys are obviously going to be it, but you got a guy like Shea who's been killing the game, and you still got a guy like Dane who has something to prove, so that's six guards right there, you know, and then you think about the forward positions, like AD's having a crazy year, he's going to be out for a month, um, but Zion's also having a crazy year, and his number well, was the number one uh, seed for a while, um, but who starts at the forward position, like does LeBron miss the does not start for the first time in I don't know how many years or who's going to sit out there. But I just think there's so much, um, so much going on in the game right now. I'm just excited to talk about who makes the all-star team and where that projects. Yeah, that will be a topic for sure. As the weeks go on, you don't have to worry. LeBron's going to start. His stats are good enough. And yeah. when we think about the West, the West is a guard, you know, guard's dream. Like that's really yeah. where the position super stacked. The front court spot, he's going to make it. That's not a worry. But, hey, this episode will be out tomorrow. So even though it's NBA Monday, I'm going to get it uploaded out to everybody tomorrow. Um, That gives So it will drop perfectly as Memphis plays Denver. That would be a very (laughs) interesting Western Conference game early in the year. But without further ado, this is your man, Kimberly Bomani. It's great to have this segment on. It's going to be a regular moving forward. But without further ado, you'll see me and Clem on NBA Monday next Monday. So peace. Peace out.